Well, this morning we're going to continue. We're going to go back to the book of Colossians. We're going to continue our trek through this book. Um, but I wanted to say one thing before we jump into this. I, I, I don't, I'm assuming that you're, ex, you're experiencing the book of Colossians and you're experiencing Sunday gatherings similar to me in that I feel like Sundays just come and go so fast. And I'm like, I don't even remember what I preached last week, let alone like how well did I do at applying it. So specifically, um, I want to encourage couples to not move too far past the series on marriage. Um, I know that Elspeth and I had a ton of good conversations. I think there's still more to be had. So I just want to encourage you, um, men especially, to lead our wives in conversations about um, the different things that we talked about, the application to those, um, to those messages, and to keep that conversation going and not just let that fall to the wayside because it was now four weeks ago or three weeks ago. Um, get, get a lot of mileage out of those uh, messages and out of those verses that we looked at together. And don't just jump ahead, especially because this morning we're talking about more stuff that has lots of, I mean, there's this application all over the place this morning. And so I don't want anyone to be overwhelmed, but I also don't want us to move on too fast. Does that make sense? It's kind of like my, my pastor heart for all of us. I want our marriages to keep growing. And so don't, don't move ahead too quick from what we've studied in the past. Well, our text for this morning is Colossians 3, 20 and 21. So if you want to look there with me, our text is Colossians 3, 20 and 21. So I'm going to address all the children, all the kids in a few minutes, but just listen up here. Verse 20 is, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, before we pick these verses apart, remember they're in a context, right? And so I'm going to just show you quickly the immediate text. It is part of that whatever you do sandwich, if you remember that when we talk about marriage. So look at verse 17, and whatever you do, and look down at verse 23, whatever you do. So everything in between verse 17 and verse 23 are the whatever you do's that we are to do a certain way. So look at verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then in verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not to men. So when we get to verse 18, wives, this is how I process this, I think Paul is thinking, wives, submit to your husbands in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks and work at it heartily. Husbands, verse 19, what are you to do? Love your wives and do not be harsh with them giving thanks to God the Father through them, doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, working heartily. And now we're going to come to children. How are you to obey your parents? We'll do it in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father, work at it heartily. And fathers, we're going to talk to us this morning. God's going to talk to us this morning about not provoking our children so they're not discouraged and that as we parent, we should do it in a way that is in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks and doing it heartily. Does that make sense? So everything you do... Verse 17 and 23 are meant to inform how we do it or, or in what manner we do it in and how hard we work at it. So let's start with you kids. I see you. All of you. I won't pick on you guys that are here, though, any more than I'll pick on anybody who's at home watching. So kids, do I have your attention? All right, here we go. So this verse, verse 20, is just for you. It is a verse in God's word um, that at this particular moment in time is not necessarily for your parents even. The whole Bible's for you, 
But this verse is specifically just for you. It addresses you. Verse 20, children. So I guess that's 18 and under. I'm going to raise the number to 21 now. (laughs) Not applicable to some in the room. So children, it's very clear what we're told to do here. You are to obey your mom and dad in everything, your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So very simply, this is not complicated. Obey your mom and dad all the time. Now, this must be important to God because God could have said, children, clean up your room. Children, (laughs) you did? (laughs) Good, Evelyn. (laughs) It could say, children, eat your vegetables. Right? He could say, children, make sure you do your homework. But instead, he says just one thing. He gets the attention of kids. He says, here's just the one thing I want you to pay attention to. Obey your parents in everything. Obey them. Now, I'm guessing that all the kids that can hear me know how to obey. If your mom and dad say, hey, go down to the kitchen, sit at the table, we're going to have ice cream, you would know to obey. You, You would Go to the table to have ice cream, right? If your mom and dad said, we're going to go to McDonald's together, everybody, let's get in the car, you would know how to obey that, wouldn't you? Nobody would be like, oh, what? Do what? I don't want to do that. No, you would do it. Everyone, you know how to obey. And so what God is saying here is to obey means to listen. So you listen to what mom and dad say, and then you obey it. You do what they say. And it says here you're supposed to obey them in everything. So everything they tell you to do as kids used to say, I listen, and then I do it. Now, you know, kids, listen. Listen to me. If, and I don't think this happens in our church, but if a mom or dad ever asks you to do something that you know God's word would tell you not to do, then you need to go tell another adult. You need to do that. But I don't think that probably applies to many of you here. I think you can say, and I can say to you, knowing your parents, that Pretty much whatever they ask you to do, it's for your good, and you should listen to them and do it. So let me, let me do a little example here. We're going to pretend for a moment that Mrs. Elsabeth is mom, okay? And I'm going to show you what it looks like to obey and not obey, all right? So uh, pretend I'm in the kitchen. You guys like to spend time in the kitchen. We're cooking. We're making stuff. And so my mother says to me, Matthew Jerome Maka. That's bad news right there. Whole name. Kids or parents, use your whole name. Pay extra attention. You need to throw away that empty water bottle. All right. So I was told to do what? Throw away the water bottle. I see a trash can right there, right? All right. It's in the direction of the trash can, right? I'm kind of close. I th- yeah, I threw it in the right direction. Did I obey? No, I didn't obey. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) So, what does it look like? Does somebody want to demonstrate? Finn? Finn. Grab the cap. (laughs) Pretend that Miss Elspeth is your mom and she's going to tell you what to do and go do it. Finn, throw away the empty water bottle. Ta-da! There it is. Well done. Well done. All right, so let's, let's take it a step further. Let's pretend that I'm... Are these outdated? Are they outdated? It's probably something new now, right? I should have it on my head. I'd be wearing it. 
Right? So you're playing your game. You're downstairs. You're all into it. Zoom, zoom, zoom. And then your mom says to you, Matthew, it's time for dinner. Stop playing your video game. And I say, yes, mom. I'll be right up. My obeying. Did I say I was going to obey? Yeah, but did I obey? No. No. Right? Because when your mom or dad asks you to do something, it says you're supposed to obey them, which she said, need you to come upstairs now. It's time for dinner. That means I need to stop and obey and do what mom says. That's simple, right? Now, you guys know it's not easy to do, right? We know what we can do, but you guys know as well as I do that it's not always easy to do what God tells us to do. So what happens here is Paul tells you, God tells you why to obey. He tells you very simply what should motivate you, what should make you go, okay, I want to put the water bottle in the trash can. I want to put the game away. And he tells us here, it says, because it pleases the Lord. The Lord is shorthand for Jesus. It pleases Jesus. So the reason you obey your mom and dad And adults is the same for us, right? (laughs) The reason we obey God is because it pleases Jesus. We want to please Jesus. So let me just share two quick little reasons why you should want to obey Jesus. Like, why would I want to obey Jesus? You're telling me I'm supposed to obey Jesus. So I obey my mom and dad to show Jesus that I want to please him. Why? Well, first thing is he created you. So every kid in here, look look at your hands. You got... Four fingers and a thumb on each hand, probably. Does anybody have more or less? No? Okay. Who, who gave you those hands? God created those hands. He put them on the end of your arm. I'm going to stick hands on the end of your arm so you can do stuff, right? Why don't you hold your nose? Can you do anything through your mask? Kind of through your mask? So everybody has a nose, right? What does your nose do? Smell. So this morning when Miss Elizabeth was making bacon and our house was filled with that smell, it was glorious. Except for Kaylin wouldn't have liked it. Sorry, Kaylin. The bacon. No, it wasn't turkey bacon, dude. It was the fat pig bacon. And it smelled delicious. So who made your nose? God gave you your nose. So listen, the reason that you can jump and play and laugh, and eat ice cream, and watch movies, and think, it's because God made you that way. So we want to please Jesus because he made us. You're, you're alive today because Jesus made you alive. And then it says that not only did he create you, but that Jesus also then died for you so that your relationship with God could be made right. And I'm, I'm guessing all you guys in here and girls in here, you've heard your parents, and me talk about the word sin. So sin is all the stuff we do that doesn't please God. We lie. We steal. We're selfish. We don't share things. We disobey our parents. All the things we do that God says we shouldn't do is called sin. And because of that, and God is perfect, we have to be punished for that. And so God has created a place called hell to put everyone who disobeys him to be punished for their sin. But Jesus not only created you, he came to earth to die in your place so you don't have to be punished in hell. So it'd be sort of like this. Imagine if you guys did something bad. You disobeyed your mom and dad. And your mom and dad are like, you need to have a discipline for that. And then Jesus comes along and says, nope, 
I'm going to take the discipline in their place. So instead of you being disciplined, whatever that discipline would be, I'm going to discipline, Jesus says, discipline me. I want to be disciplined in their place so they can go free. And that's what Jesus did. He, he took God's punishment that you deserved on himself so that your sins could be forgiven. And then he says, here's what I want you kids to do. And you can do this at a very young age. I want you to learn to trust me that I can forgive you for my sins, for your sins. I want you to learn to love me. I want you to learn to see that I'm the greatest thing in the world so you don't have to worry anymore about God's punishment on you. So children, obey your parents in the Lord. Obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. It pleases the one who created you and the one who died for you. So kids, I want to encourage you no matter how old you are, that you can learn to go to God. We talked about this last Sunday, draw near to God, to go to God, and to simply thank him. That's what the verse 20 or verse 17 said. Thank him for giving you life and parents and Jesus. And then to simply tell him, you, you love him, you trust him, but you want to love him and trust him more. And then ask him to help you to show how much you want to please him by obeying your mom and dad. So that's the command to you, children. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases Jesus. Okay? I want to I pray for you guys, because I know it's not easy to always obey mom and dad. And I want to pray that God will help you do it for the right reasons. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for creating every boy and every girl that's part of this church. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for them. I thank you for their parents, and I ask Jesus that you would help each young man and young woman to understand how great you are and that you really are so good that you're worth pleasing, that they will want to please you for creating them, that they would want to please you for dying for them, and that they would want to show you that, and they would want to please you by obeying their mom and dad. I pray you'd help them. Help them to obey their mom and dad simply out of love and thankfulness to you for what you've done for them. So bless them, Jesus. Open their eyes to see how wonderful a Savior you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. I get to move on to moms and dads. I'm going to do moms and dads for a minute, and then we're just going to do dads. But I want to do something for parents. Because although verse 20 is directed right at kids, I think as parents eavesdropping in on God's conversation with kids, there are two things, probably more, way more than two things, there's two things I want to point out to you guys from this as parents. The first is this. According to verse 20, children obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Your child's disobedience, or when your child disobeys you, it is a Jesus issue. Did you catch that, parents? When your child, therefore, then disobeys you, it is a Jesus issue, not a necessarily a child and parent issue as much as it's a child and Jesus issue. If you keep this in mind, it will help you have the right perspective when they disobey. Because I think there's two mistakes that can happen if you don't keep this in mind. If you don't keep this in mind, you will make their sin all about you that they've sinned against you by disobeying you. And then it becomes about them ruining your day or making life difficult. 
But we've got to keep in mind, this is not necessarily as much about their relationship with you when they disobey as it is about their relationship with Jesus when they disobey. And that should be what most concerns you. The second mistake this will guard you from, that their, their disobedience is against Jesus first, the second mistake is it'll help you to not ignore their disobedience. See, the problem is sometimes your kid may be disobeying, but as long as they're not interrupting your day, you might let it go. As long as it's not bothering you at that moment or it's allowing you to continue doing whatever you're doing, you might not want to say anything. But listen, that's just as bad. Because if, if they disobey and you think, well, it's not that big of a deal, what you're saying is it's not that big of a deal to disobey Jesus. Do you understand that? In other words, if I let it go, say, well, it's not that big of a deal right now. I've got other things to do. Well, if they're disobeying you, then they're really disobeying Jesus, which means you're really saying it's not that big of a deal if my kid disobeys Jesus. And you and I know that's a big deal. So just keep that in mind. This verse is telling you don't let yourself get in the middle of it. This is about their walk, their relationship with Christ when they disobey, not so much their relationship or not primarily their relationship with you. The second thing is this that this verse shows me. It is this, to make sure that you're motivating your child to obey you by reminding them that they are pleasing Jesus. Make sense? So ultimately, your child is obeying, obeying you or disobeying you is not for your happiness, parents, or for our peace. It's so they will please Christ. So motivate your kids this way. Make it about them pleasing Jesus, which means, I'm connecting dots here, parents, which means the main goal is to teach and show them that Jesus is worth obeying. That's your ultimate aim. You want your kids to see, wow, Jesus is worth obeying and pleasing, so I'm going to obey my parents. I can put it this way. The more you show them the worth of Jesus, the more they will see him as worth pleasing. The more you show them, the worth of Jesus, the more they will see him as worth pleasing or worth pleasing. So every day, parents, tell your children something fascinating about God. Every day, tell them something fascinating about Christ. And of course, this means that you yourself must first be fascinated with Christ. To do this yourself, you yourself must know the infinite worth of God in his kingdom so that you can then explain to your kids the infinite worth of God in his kingdom so they will say, wow, he is worth pleasing. But they need to hear that from you. And listen, parents, when you're not reveling in the glory of God and his kingdom, your kids will pay for it. When you are not fascinated with Christ and his glory, that will trickle down into how you parent your kids and they will, to some degree, pay for it. So are you fascinated with Christ? You guys remember when we studied Colossians, we started Colossians a year ago, that in verse 18 of chapter 1, we talked about how that in everything he might be preeminent. We've talked a lot about that word. That's the theme, I think, for the book. That in everything, Jesus might be preeminent. That in everything, Jesus might be supreme, glorious, 
breathtaking, that his majesty would be shown off in everything. That word everything includes children obeying, that as children obey their parents, Jesus might be seen as preeminent, supreme, and glorious, that in parenting, Jesus, in your parenting, that in your parenting, Jesus might be preeminent, that he might shine through your parenting. See, in our parenting, we want our kids to taste and experience and encounter the love and the grace and the beauty and the majesty and the glory and the forgiveness of Christ. That's what we want them to behold as we parent. That's the aim. That is the goal. So parents, there's two applications for you from that verse. Now we move on to verse 21. Verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So first it comes with a command. Do not provoke. Do not irritate them, tempt them, exasperate them, stir them up in a bad way. And then we're told why we shouldn't do that. So they won't be discouraged. So they won't lose heart. They won't be broken in spirit. They won't lack hope. Now when I read this verse, when I read verse 21, it raises all kinds of questions for me. All kinds of questions. The first of those questions for me is why fathers and not fathers and mothers? Why? Why do, why do wives, why do moms get off the hook here? Like why? What's going on here? And I want to know why. And so I, I think the reason why, and I think I can back this up in scripture and other places, is if you remember when we studied marriage, Adam and Eve sin, Eve eats the fr- fruit first, gives it to Adam who's with him, with her, And God shows up knocking on the door of the house. And who does he want first? Adam. He's going after Adam. And so I think the same thing is happening here. I think to some degree, just like Adam was ultimately the one responsible for how his relationship with his wife and God were going. So here, fathers, we need to feel the ultimate weight and responsibility in in parenting. We, dads, whether you know it or not, We set the tone and the atmosphere in the home. And so he's going, God, through Paul and Timothy here, go after fathers first. And I think that's why. That's the first question. I think that's the right answer. Second question this raises for me is this. Why of all things does he bring this up? If you're God and you're going to write one sentence to fathers, what is your sentence going to say? Not that. I'm not God, but if I'm writing to people, if I'm going to write one sentence to a church, to fathers in that church, this is not the sentence I would pick. I would not write, fathers, hmm, do not provoke your children lest they become angry. I can think of a hundred other things I would say to dads. So it's good for us, I think, to pause right here and acknowledge that God is a little more wise than I am. And you. And that's why God put this here. He's really smart, and he knows your heart. So he puts it in writing here. He puts it in writing here exactly what he knows is most important for fathers to hear. He wants fathers to not miss this. So it must be important, should I say super important, for dads to grab a hold of this and apply it 
to their lives. And maybe he didn't add more because he knew if he added more, we might overlook this and jump to the next. So he put one sentence in here. One for us. Don't provoke your children. Actually, one command. Just one thing. Don't provoke them, dads. Don't do it. Don't talk to them or treat them in such a way that it messes with their minds and hearts, leading them to discouragement. Now, let's not disconnect verse 21 from verse 20, right? Because verse 20, parents are given a lot of authority, aren't we? Kids are supposed to obey us in everything. So this authority is given to us. So I think the warning here is for us as fathers to not use that authority in a way that could end up discouraging our children. Does that make sense? So don't abuse the authority. So here's how I sum this up. I think it ties together this way. Fathers, everything about the how, when, where, and why of asking your kid to obey you needs to be done in a way that does not provoke them towards discouragement. Let me read it again. I think this is a summary of that verse, of those two verses. Fathers, everything about how and when and where and why of asking them to obey you needs to be done in a way that does not provoke them towards discouragement, towards giving up, towards anger, towards heads hanging low, towards hopelessness. Don't do it in a way that that's what the end result is. There'll be another way I can say it. I, like to, I have to tease things out in my head in different ways to make sure I'm understanding it. This is another way I put it down for me. In other words, before we ask our children to do something, we should consider, as dads, before we ask them to do something, we should consider the timing of, how we're at, of what we're asking them to do. Will this timing unnecessarily provoke them to discouragement? Will the extent of what I'm asking them to do, or the current circumstances that they're in, or the tone that I'm asking, or my heart attitude, will any of those in some way unnecessarily provoke them to be discouraged? Will it? And I'm using the word unnecessarily there because you and I know as parents that there's times you could do it perfectly and your child is still not going to respond like a saint. We know that. So I say unnecessarily. And I think as dads, we know when we've contributed to their lack of desire to obey or when we've contributed to their discouragement. And we, I think we know the difference in our hearts when their discouragement is a result of our behavior and when it's just because they are being rebellious. Okay, so now what I'm going to do here is very dangerous. I want to share with you a, this is, that would kind of shift now from, I'm just going to confess it, from exegetical preaching, which I think is what we always do, to more of a seminar. Now, everything I'm going to share, I'm going to share with you a bunch of ways, I think I have seven of them or eight of them, that you could provoke your kid or exasperate your child. I want to share them with you. Now, every one of these I think I could speak Jesus into, I could find in Scripture. But I'm going to go through them quickly because there's eight of them and I only have a few more minutes. What I want to say is this. Every one of these is prone to be misunderstood and misapplied. So beware. And you're going to have 100 questions after every one of these. And so I am as always, but specifically making myself available, as with my wife, to meet with any and every one of you that wants to meet to talk through any one of these eight and figure out how it maybe it applies better, talk through it for your context. Does that make sense? So I'm not pretending I'm like Joe Parent expert here, or that what I'm saying here is going to 
oh, the sky's going to part and light's going to shine down. You're going to go, I see the light. I'm not promising any of that. But I am saying is I think these are categories. Mostly I can say, yep, these are ways I have provoked my kids. So let me share my mistakes with you in hopes that this helps you to see ways that you might be provoking your kids. So you're ready to go. I'm going to go quick. You got eight of them. Number one, you want to provoke your kid so they're overwhelmed and discouraged? Give them so many things to do that they can't obey them all. (laughs) Give them a list of things to do every week and make them all of equal importance and you will provoke them. Basically what it's saying in scripture, give them more than they can bear, right? Or give them more than you know they can do. Because most likely if you do that, then you have to over-discipline because they can't keep up with all the ways they're disobeying. So it leads to over-discipline. So just be aware. Am I giving them too many things to do? Number two, giving them things to do that are beyond their age or ability. Things that are beyond their age or ability. Are you setting expectations that are beyond how old they are? This is something I didn't learn until my oldest was in her mid-teens. And I looked down at my kid who was eight and I thought, I expected my daughter who's now 15 to act like, what? When she was eight? It put things in perspective. Remember, you have kids. They're kids. They're human, which means they're weak and flawed and have limitations. And you'll make them very discouraged if you demand for them to keep up in ways that are not appropriate to their age or their ability. A good example of this is bedtime. We learned this the hard way. So you've got a couple of kids maybe, or maybe just one kid, and it's bedtime. And so the kids go upstairs, go to bed. And one kid knows bedtime means brush my teeth, clean my room, get on my jammies. They know that. But for another child, maybe even an older child, an older sibling, they might need that broken down into smaller tasks. Like, how about if you just go upstairs? And when we get there, we'll go to the next step, which is brush your teeth. And then from there, we will go to the step of putting on jammies. Like, every kid is different. So be aware of their age and be aware of their ability. Don't give them more than they can bear. Number three, you want to exasperate your kid, compare one child's obedience to another child's obedience, or just compare your kids, and you will exasperate them at some point. If you find yourself saying things like, your brother doesn't seem to have a problem obeying blank, 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 or why can't you obey like your sister? Well, the answer is because he's not his sister. (laughs) He's him. So don't compare. If you start comparing, you will exasperate them. Number four, this one's going to take a little more time to tease out. This is not relevant to everyone. This is relevant to those of us who came from covenant life or perhaps a circle of teaching that was in the same way. And it's this, demand, number four, demand that your kids obey immediately, cheerfully, and fully. (laughs) And I hear an amen from an adult who was raised at Covenant Life Church. Or right away, all the way, Bree is going to like pass out on the floor back there. Right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. However you were taught to say it. Now listen, you got to listen, because I'm grateful, and and I own, because I did a lot of the teaching on this in many ways at Covenant Life. Note the word demand. That's how I started the sentence. Demand. You want to provoke them. Demand that they obey you immediately, cheerfully, fully. Now, let me explain what I mean here, because I think in the book of Ephesians, we could argue that it's good. We want our kids to learn how to obey immediately and cheerfully and fully. That's in Scripture. But 
But, 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 I think you'll provoke your child if every time you ask them to do something, you demand they do it immediately, cheerfully, and fully. And if they miss one of those three, you make them go back and do it over again until they get it right. You will crush their spirit if you take that approach. Let me just say this. Just no parents, from your own experience, you can't make your kid have a happy heart. What's that little cartoon thing where the kid's like, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside, right? When the mom's like, sit down. That's what the kid says. Like, I sat down on the outside, but on the inside, I'm still standing up, right? You can't change your kid's heart. Second, if we do this, we're putting a law on our kids that you yourself cannot fulfill. How often do you obey God immediately, cheerfully, and fully? Do I always obey God immediately, cheerfully, fully? Do I ever in my life obey God immediately, cheerfully, and fully? And yet then we expect our kids to do it. That is a law and a burden they cannot uphold. And listen, most likely, depending on your kid's age and everything else, all the other factors, very likely your kid is an unregenerated sinner. So we should expect them to act that way and be pleasantly surprised, yes, even shocked when they don't. So when they do obey immediately and cheerfully, there should be a party breaking out in your house. Rather than, why can't they obey? I can give you 20 reasons why they can't obey. Now, this doesn't mean you shouldn't tell your kids that it pleases God when we serve him with a joyful heart. Because we should. And we should tell our kids that. And it doesn't mean that we don't bring consequences or discipline when they disobey. We should do that also. But I think we'll provoke them if every time we ask them to do something, we're nitpicking over whether they did it 100% or fast enough or happy enough. Got it? Number five, make everything about sin. Number five, you want to provoke your kid? Make everything about sin. No, it's everything they do, try to find out what's going on in their heart, what's wrong in their heart. How is this a sin? You will provoke them if you do that. Sometimes they did what they did because they're hungry stuff a sandwich in the kid's mouth, and all of a sudden they're happy again. Give them some bacon, and they're even happier. <laughs> Sometimes they're just tired. Sometimes they're just emotionally and mentally fried and overloaded. So give them grace. Remember to give them grace. Make sure we separate preferences from sin issues. This is a huge one, and this fits. This is number five still. Everything about sin, make sure you're clearly thinking through. So if you taught your child this is truth and this is lying, and you've taught them that, and then they lie, you can talk to them about how lying is sin. But if your kid doesn't put their dishes in the dishwasher, that is not a sin. It says right here, kids, put your dishes in the dishwasher. It's not there. But you may have made it an obedience issue, and then it could be a sin. So therefore, be careful how many things that are not clearly sinful in Scripture you turn into an obedience issue. Because if it's too many things, you're in trouble. Number six, make nothing about sin. <laughs> the opposite. Make nothing about this. Let them get, get away with everything. Fear of child, basically. I think if you do this, you will also provoke them because they're never going to see that they're a sinner which means they're never going to see their need for a savior, which means they're never going to have access to the power to change or to find the grace of God. 
So please don't fall to the other extreme and make nothing about sin. Because there's times where you're going to be able to clearly talk to them about what they did and show them in God's word where it offends him and then how there's grace to be forgiven and set free. Number seven. I think I'm number seven. Number seven. Make your, child, make your home child-centered. This is backwards thinking. This is not the way the world thinks. This is the way God thinks. You will provoke your kid. They will end up eventually very discouraged if you make your home child-centered. You will provoke them if your whole house revolves around them, their naps, their food preferences, their sports, whatever it is, because you're not going to be pointing them to the one who actually gives them satisfaction. You're convincing them the world revolves around you. You're teaching them a false worldview that they're at the center. And at some point, they're going to feel and realize, wait a minute, I'm not at the center of the universe. And then they're going to fight to put themselves back at the center of the universe. So you teach them when they're young that Jesus is at the center of the universe. Everything revolves around him. And you're peripheral to that. You're secondary to that. And this helps us. We want to help them to see this because that's where they're going to find their joy. When Jesus is at the center, this is where they're going to find their, that all the things they desire will be satisfied. Not always getting away with what they want, but, but seeing God at the center. So teach them when they're young that your life as parents, your family's calendar, your family's priorities revolve around Jesus, his church, and his mission, and not their comfort, their goals, their sports, their desires, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Have Jesus at the center as as your family functions, and it will train them in that direction. Number eight, you want to provoke them, expect them to obey without training. You will provoke your child if you expect them to obey without training. No time to go to Ephesians 6 where it tells us to train our kids. I think I've used this illustration five years ago, but train your kids. That means at times you you explain clearly what the expectations are, and then in the moment you go back to your kid and you grab them by their cheeks. Should I do it? Which kid should I pick? And you say, Caleb, in a minute I'm going to ask you to go upstairs and clean up your room. What are you going to say to dad? Yes, dad. Good, good. You ready? I'm going to ask you now to go upstairs. Ready? Here we go. Caleb, go upstairs. It's time to clean your room. (laughs) Exactly. So you you train them. You prep them. You you help them to learn what it's like to obey, to slow down and think through what you're saying. You may have to ask them at that point, do you want to please Jesus? He made you and he he, he died for you. Do you want to please him? And and, and most kids are going, yeah, okay, I do. Right? kids Kids will be passionate about what you're passionate about. That's why Henry's wearing a Pittsburgh shirt. He's passionate about what his dad's passionate about. Dads, if we are passionate about obeying and living for Christ, our kids will see that and they will want to please him too. So when you say to them, what do you want to do right now? Do you want to obey or not? They're going to probably say yes. Because you can train them in that direction. Number nine, last one. You want to provoke your kid? Sin against them and don't ask forgiveness. You will provoke your kid if you sin against them in whatever it is, anger, rage, complacency. You name the category. Do it. Don't ask forgiveness, and you will in the end provoke them. They will be discouraged. They won't know how to make sense of life. That dad's saying one thing and then living another. So there it is. There's my nine. Text me later today. I'll come over to your house, and we'll talk through whichever ones aren't clear. Here we go. I want to do this now. Uh, Bree, can we put this slide up? So 
I, I'm reading this, I'm going, okay, it's in the negative. And I just can't give you all those negatives, right? So I thought to myself, what's the positive then? If the verse reads, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged, then what, is it, what should it say if I were putting it in the positive? Fathers, do what to your children? I guess it shouldn't say lest they become. It say so they will, or maybe it is lest, will become what? In other words, what's your end goal? What are you shooting for? What does God want you to be shooting for? And then how do you do it? See what I just did with my hand? I changed the word. <laughs> I think this could be an exercise for us as, as uh, mothers and fathers this week that would be really helpful. What, what am I aiming at? And then what am I going to do to get there? So I don't think the answer is out in space somewhere. I think the answer is up in verse 12. At least to the first part. Fathers, here's what you are to do for your children. So look at verse 12. Put on then, this is, this is all about how you've been changed by the gospel. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Dads, here's what we do. Moms too, here's what we do. Here's what we do with our kids. Have compassionate hearts towards our children. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. These are, these are parenting verses, friends. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect Harmony, and I could keep reading. I'm going to stop there. Do you see the parenting application that's there? Moms and dads, if we grab a hold of this, what we're basically doing is we're imaging Christ to our kids. We live in a way so our kids look at us and they get a glimpse of Christ. They see him as preeminent in our lives by how, by how we live our lives. And they encounter Jesus through us as we treat them the way that Christ treats us. He is compassionate with us. He's kind with us. He's humble and meek with us. He is so patient with us. He bears with me doing the same things over and over and over again, and yet forgives me, and he loves me endlessly. And God says, put that on, parents, towards your kids. Do it for them. And then I think the last part of that verse, so they will become what? And parents, nuance this, how the Spirit leads you to nuance it. We could just flip the negative to the positive so that they will be encouraged, so they'll be built up. I think we can go even further. I think we can say, so they will be Jesus lovers. So they'll know Jesus and love Jesus and live for Jesus. Fathers and mothers have compassionate hearts and kindness and patience and bear with them and forgive them and love them so that they will see the glory of Jesus and his preeminent supremacy, that there's no one like him, that he's the greatest treasure in the universe, infinitely satisfying. So they will say, I want to walk with Christ. So parents, let's live our lives that way. Let's make it our aim not to have kids that have high self-esteem 
or good math grades so they can get into a good school. Let's make it our aim for them to love Christ by how we live with them. I want to close here by just reading something very short. Some of you know that when Elspeth and I travel, we like to go to cemeteries. We like to go to old cemeteries and walk around and read the headstones, the headstones, especially from years and years ago. So recently, or past year, so we were in Cape Cod, and I wrote down this particular headstone. It caught my eye because this girl, whose name was Sally, died at age 11. And you guys want to just... You know, one king said everybody should go to a funeral every year to remind yourselves of death. I say everybody should go to a cemetery at least every six months just to remind yourself that's where I'm going to be. It's going to happen soon. So anyway, here's this little girl, Sally, age 11. Here's what it said. It said, Sally, daughter of Mr. Scalo and Miss Mary Cobb, who died February 21st, 1785 at age 11. And then it had this little poem. Though young, she listened to the voice of truth and trod a Savior's steps in early youth. Calm and serene, she yielded up her breath and even triumphed at the approach of death. And I thought, that's what I want for my kids. I want to be able to say that I led them in a way that they walked with Jesus on this earth. And then as they left this earth, that they will leave it trotting the Savior's steps and triumphing at the end, even unto death. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we take this call to be parents as a privilege and a joy, yet it's very sobering. The amount of influence that we can have on our children is really insane that you would entrust us with that much ability to guide a kid's heart is downright frightening sometimes. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, for the moms and dads in our church that you would please fill them with your spirit even right now. Lord, I know that even as I was preparing this message, it was very easy to feel condemned. And, and very aware of ways that I have failed. And so I pray for any mom or dad who is listening and is feeling shame or condemnation. I ask, Spirit, that you'd remind them that there is no condemnation for, for those who are in Christ Jesus. That Jesus, when you hung on the cross naked, that you took our shame from us so that we have nothing to be ashamed of. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would protect every mom and dad from feelings that are not in keeping with what is true, that they're forgiven and that they're righteous in your sight. And then, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us. God, we need your strength. We need physical energy. We need mental energy, spiritual energy, alertness in order to parent the way you've called us to parent. God, help us. Help us. All those put-ons are wonderful things. Jesus, make us aware of how you forgave us and loved us and are long-suffering with us 
and are merciful to us so that we then can do the same for our kids. Jesus, help us to be fascinated with you so that our kids will become fascinated in you. Help us, Lord, to motivate our children to want to please you by seeing how great you are. May they see you as worth obeying. May they see you as the greatest thing on the planet. And Lord Jesus, I ask you to please save our children. Every one of them, Lord Jesus, pour your spirit down on them. Protect them from the lies of the enemy, from their sinful nature and from this world, and capture their hearts. Capture them. Give them a fresh encounter with the living Christ so that they will walk with you all of their days. And help us as parents to play our part in pointing them to you and in showing them who you are by how we live our lives. God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us as parents. Strengthen us. Give us fresh vision and faith to parent the way you've called us to parent. In Jesus' name, amen.